Yes, Kendall, explain to us why you're holding <laughs> the microphone that way. Well, because it's easier to sit this that way. It looks so dumb. I can sit straight up, though. If I have you it over can't here. Sit no, guess what I have to do? I have to lean forward, so now I'm no longer straight. If I sit here. He's holding this giant microphone in his, in his lap. It looks so no, dumb. technically, it's it's on a. He's holding it it's like teetering. a baby. No, it's. <laughs> or a small child. Give me a chance to use a big word. It's teetering. That's not on a the big side. word. <laughs> that's Get not, out of that's here. That's not a big word. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> you do, guys do not freaking shame me with Michael, that. I think it's you and me against Kendall today. That's how it feels. No, <laughs> I think I like our odds. <laughs> Y'all are word shaming me. <laughs> I know words. Bigger words. I know words. I know them all. I know big words. Just none like, of them are coming to mind right now. I was going to say, like, what? <laughs> like teetering. <laughs> <laughs> Teetering's all I got. Oh, I hate you guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Hate's good. I need more of me in my headphones. More of you? What? Oh. Yo, turn me up in my headphones. He only I need wants more to me hear in my headphones. No, that's like a, you know, like, have you ever heard this? Yeah, it's much better. Have you, you ever listened to like a rap and he's like, yo, get more of me in my headphones? Like at the beginning, like. Yeah, that's definitely what I listened to. You've never heard that? No. I, Michael, have you? That doesn't sound like a very interesting I think he made that up at the beginning of a song. <laughs> you made that up. Okay. Y'all go ahead. You listen. <laughs> so Y'all go ahead. Because I'm looking at. <laughs> I he know. Listens, gonna look it up. I'm going to find it right now. The thing now. is, he listens to that weird Texas rap. The stuff what that is never, Texas it's rap? It's called It's called Third Coast, what? first of all. Stuff that never made it to the radio. Um, like when oh. rap was cool. Chopping Screwed, it's Houston. Uh, just, y'all need... Texas and group. rap doesn't go together. No, it does. No, I like, I, Texas and burritos, maybe. Texas you guys, and tacos. You guys. Texas and forever, according to Kendall. Yeah, Texas and forever, you're right. Yeah, that's how long it's going to be before they win a Here Super Bowl. <laughs> That sounds so low budget. I told you. Well, it's, it's first of all, it sounds low budget because it's playing from my phone into a microphone. Okay, but I told you. All right. Anyways. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah, so you're welcome. <laughs> Segway, Michael. And I Michael. will teeter the crap out of this microphone on this table. Gross. Um, Woke okay. up and chose violence. Um, we are going to work through... The, Where are we at, first of all? What is this podcast, Michael? <laughs> this is the Uloft podcast. Yes. I am sitting in the hub of the creative department at you mean Summit the Uloft. Church. You're in the Uloft. In the, U- the Uloft. There we go. I'm two tables across from Every Kendall time. Kersey and Ashley Bennett. What up? Hey, hey. And uh, we're going to talk about the principles which are underneath session three of Judah Smith's um, thesis. Not thesis. It's not a thesis. It's, a, no. it's an exploration of... His book. Yeah, his yeah. book. How about just his book? The book that he wrote that is called Jesus's. It is an exploration of the question, who is Jesus? Jesus is. What is Jesus? Thinking about the character of Jesus. Jesus is. How many times can you say it a different uh, way? So, Yeah, you still are trying to word shame me, but you don't have big words right now either. (laughs) In this, (laughs) look, I I like to make things simple for the people. Okay. Um, In this session, uh, he references Psalm 23. Now, we can go a lot of directions with Psalm 23, um, but I think maybe what we'll start with 
are is the promises of God. So <clears throat> let me just lay this out and then we'll unpack it. There seems to be a real tangible effect to trusting in the promise of God and the promises of God. For example, Jesus promised that those who are persecuted for righteousness will be blessed. It looks to me like even if the circumstances of your persecution are dismal, trusting in God's promise for blessing will actually transform the way in which you react to and walk through the persecution. The faith, the faith itself makes a tangible difference in the present moment. So this was actually an insight of um, the Austrian psychiatrist Viktor Frankl when he was in Auschwitz. Hmm. He, he had made, he, he believed that no matter how dark his circumstances appeared, he was going to stick to his resolution to tell the truth and abide in the truth, even if it looked like doing so would get him killed. By faith, he believed, the path laid out for him by the truth was the best possible path, even in the midst of one of the worst places on earth. So I want to talk about the tangible differences that maybe you've noticed in your leadership, in your relationships, in your daily life, um, which are a consequence of trusting in the promises of God. How does trusting in the promises of God change the way that you react to difficult situations that show up? How does it change the way you react to situations that maybe aren't difficult, but are mundane, just your daily life? How does that affect the way that you walk through your life, trusting in the promises of God. So I think you first need to define what are the promises of God though? Because for instance, <clears throat> I could, uh, I could try to, you know, pull the whole um, prosperity gospel thing and be like, well, the promises of God are for health, wealth, and happiness, but those aren't really the promises of God um, specifically. You know, uh, and it's like, well, are we talking about overall promises in the scriptures through the gospel? Or are we talking about promises that we believe he's promised to us individually? Um, and is that even a thing? And then also like, are we talking about promises for wealth, for wholeness, for, cause. I think that the Beatitudes are actually a really good, um, system for defining the promises of God. Okay. So, so you I, I think you can, I think you can actually use those to what you can use them for in Matthew five is, uh, so the pure in heart, the meek. Yeah. We, I mean, I can I'll, the brokenhearted, the, uh, persecuted. Well, so yeah, let's, let's just go through and we can, we don't have to read all of them, but we probably should because they're fantastic. Yes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a universal promise. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The reason why these can be used to discern the will of God in regards to universal promises is because they don't have qualifiers to them. Like they're just, 
uh, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Jesus doesn't qualify that. He just says, if you're mourning, you'll be comforted. Yeah. So they, I mean, they do have qualifications, but those qualifications are more of an umbrella statement. Like they're not specific people who are mourning. It's right. Simply like just, it's not blessed. Blessed are those who mourn because you've lost the city of Jericho and therefore. Yeah. 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 Like, so they're, they're, yeah, they have qualities to them, but they're not specific. So specific that it, um, it excludes a lot of people. Yeah. They're pointing to experiences that almost everyone has at some mm-hmm. point. Now, and let me so, say something real quick at the very end, uh, because I think a lot of people might get this wrong. Um, when it talks about I think the last one is, um, when people, you know, speak evil against you, it's like, that's not just if you have haters, like, <laughs> it's not like, Oh, well I got people who are haters on me and like, so I'm going to be uh, yeah, blessed you, and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Cause Jesus says, because of me, like he says, if you're persecuted because of me, not just if you're persecuted because you're a terrible person or, you know, you're a jerk or you're super prideful, like <laughs> that is, that's not exactly the same thing. So, right. The first question you should ask yourself if you have quote haters is, <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Am I, Am I if, wrong? Yeah. I don't think anybody who thinks they have haters is thinking they're wrong ever. Yeah, that's part of the problem, actually. <laughs> um, but if you go to uh, the council of many, let's say you go up to your uh, elders board or your pastors and you say, hey, a lot of people are giving me trouble because of this thing. They might be able to help you discern whether or not you're actually wrong and whether or not the trouble is pointing to the fact that you're wrong and that you need to change yourself. Um, yes. Yeah. I just wanted to make that explicit on the fact that like Jesus is saying persecuted because of me and not because of just random things or because you're an idiot. So back to your original question of promises and how does that, how does God's promises help us to get through? Yeah. Well, so a good example, daily life, like a good example would be faith to tell the truth no matter what even if telling the truth in a particular circumstance seems like it's going to get you in a lot of trouble or maybe destroy your life and faith to abide or abide in or walk in what's true. So, um, if I say I don't like doing manual labor, so I fake an ankle injury and then well, I you don't like to, doing manual labor. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and so then I, I tell a bunch of people, Hey, I hurt my ankle. Can't do all this labor. Um, and then I, I am, thinking and functioning in that way. And maybe I start to believe that I have an injury. And then, so there's some placebo effect happening and all this. Um, The faith-based commitment to tell the truth is that, and this is a stupid example compared to Viktor Frankl. I think we should probably talk a little bit more about him too, before we depart from the topic. Um, The the faith-based commitment to tell the truth is that even though I have to do 18 hours of hard manual labor, if I confess that I actually don't have an injury that that 18 hours of hard manual labor is the path that God is unfolding before me. And that is therefore the best path. So whatever is true is the path that God is unfolding in front of you. And that's your journey. So if you're telling the truth and you can't do this perfectly because you're not omniscient. So sometimes you'll speak falsehoods just because you don't know the truth. You don't know what the truth is. Like if somebody said right now, how many feet away is the sun from the earth? And I just had to answer with something. Um, I should say, I don't know. But if I just came up with feet or whatever, I just said X amount of feet, I'd be wrong almost certainly. So I'd be speaking a falsehood. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I am talking about when you know what's true, not lying. And if you 
if you do that, this is what this is what Frankel did in Auschwitz. Even when things look horrible as a consequence of your truth telling or as a consequence of you walking in the truth, that you trust that that horrible path is in fact the best path forward, even if you can't see it yet. Okay, so let's let's back this up then and connect the dots. Yeah, I'm, I think, I'm a little lost. Yeah, so I, let's go off of the, you're using the truth based because that's what he said. So if you go off of the Beatitudes like you were talking about, let's just take those who mourn, okay? If you are mourning, but you know that that morning, if you are, if you are so like clinging to, if you so cling to the promises of God, that morning has a purpose and will eventually result in comfort. So like, I think that's what you're saying essentially is like, you can take it from another example of, <clears throat> or if you're persecuted for yeah. Christ's sake, then you know in that moment, if you're clinging to the promises of God, then even if you're persecuted at the worst moments or in the worst ways, which a lot of missionaries are, we're not necessarily persecuted here in America that way, but um, people maybe living in the Middle East who are Christians, if they hold fast to the promises of God that if you are persecuted, you know, you will see God, you're gonna be fine, you're gonna be taken care of um, on an internal basis. If you hold tight to that, then it allows you to be able to go through the worst of persecution well, or yeah. the worst of mourning. So, or if it's hard to keep peace in the in a sense and you don't wanna be a peacemaker and you're not normally a peacemaker, then um, what is what is going to keep you to try to make peace is that you know it's a promise of God that if, blessed are the peacemakers, you know, like, so I think that that is what you're trying to get at, correct? Yeah, so it the truth applies to all of the Beatitudes in the sense, and we can explain how it applies to mourning, for instance. Um, one of the stages of grief is denial. And the reason one of the stages of grief is denial is because it really freaking hurts to go through grief and mm -hmm. nobody wants to experience the pain. And so we're looking for a way out of the pain and that's where the denial comes from. And so when you read in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. When you're about to start mourning, you don't see the comfort on the horizon. You don't know where it is. You don't know which way, like you don't know how long it's going to take before you feel comforted. You have to take Christ's words on faith in that moment and the abiding in the truth is accepting the fact that you're about to go through mourning instead of lying to yourself about it and to others in order to avoid feeling the pain because you don't need to avoid feeling the pain because those who are mourned shall be comforted and that's exactly how you actually heal from these kinds of things is by going through and processing the pain and so but many many people don't do that because they they don't believe that there's comfort coming. And so they're going to do or say anything to avoid accepting the pain. And so that's where the truth comes in. And you can do the same thing with persecution. Um, if I believe that I'm being persecuted for righteousness sake, and I believe what Christ says about I will be blessed because of that, it enables me, like you said, to go through the persecution instead of taking like a cowardly way out or not standing on principle or worse, turning my coat and uh, betraying God or betraying the, the, the cause of Christ in order to avoid the persecution. So that's where like, okay, for instance, um, when Esau gives up his birthright, mm -hmm. uh, for the pot of stew, all he's thinking about is I'm really hungry right now and I need that pot of stew. So he's, he's, he's exchanging 
a commitment, a faith-based commitment to the value of birthright for what he can see right in front of him, which is the value of the yes. stew. Okay, so I'm going to finally answer your question <laughs> that you started about 20 minutes ago. And maybe you have an answer for it. I don't know. But <clears throat> for me, I think it's about, on a personal level, I could very easily tell you the real pastory, super Christian thing to say and be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I lean on the promises of God all the time. So I get through really hard things super easy because I just pray and like <laughs> I rest in the promises of God and then I turn my worship music on and then I read scriptures and then I feel like everything's rainbows and unicorns Perfect and I'm great. Formula. Yeah, like, but honestly, no. Like that's not the way that I view it. I'm actually struggling through this as well, but the one thing that allows me to continue to struggle through it and not to just give up is that I'm looking to eternity, right? So all those promises of God in the Beatitudes or in the scriptures or in the gospels or whatever. Those, some of those promises are for here and now, like on this earth, for sure. And they can be attained here. Um, But really all of those promises are not fully fulfilled until you see Jesus face to face and you are in heaven, right? Like, I think that God definitely comforts those who mourn here on earth, for sure. But the everlasting comfort is when the war's over and we're in the presence of Jesus for eternity. That's when the full comfort comes. You know, blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, you're still gonna face persecution at some point and you might have some bereavement here and some peace here, um, but you're really not gonna have that fully until you see Jesus face to face. You know, um, <clears throat> even one of the ones I've written on and, and spoke about before is um, by uh, by his stripes we are healed, like that um, that scripture you know, a lot of people will take that and say, okay, well, by his stripes, I'm healed and I can walk in the name of Jesus right now. And will that happen? Maybe sometimes it can happen for sure. But that healing is a spiritual healing that comes whenever you again, see Jesus face to face. Like you are being healed. You're in the act of being healed, uh, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. I guess it's three, not both. Um, And that doesn't fully take place again until you get to heaven. So like we're going to continue to have to deal with crap here on earth that the promises of God answer for sure. But they, I don't believe they will be fully fulfilled until you see, until you see Jesus face to face. That's why the scripture says like all of God's promises are yes and amen through the son, through Jesus Christ, through his, uh, through his death and resurrection. That's because all of those promises are not necessarily tied to this earth. They are also eternal. And I think a lot of people get this wrong. And this is actually what happens with, um, well, this is what can happen a lot in the charismatic movement, I would say, is that, and I am charismatic, by the way, for anybody listening, wasn't sure, like Pentecostal, whatever, like I was raised that way. And I don't, I don't disagree with a lot of the uh, doctrines, um, but I do know that they will wield the quote unquote promises of God, especially for healing and mm-hmm. for wholeness and for health and all that wellness and, and, and wealth and all that stuff. They will wield those around as such that I can just say in Jesus name, these promises are going to happen and they're going to happen. And I would say like that, that doctrine gets taken a little too far sometimes Um And when those things don't happen here on earth, it causes discouragement and causes people to have to really doubt, is God really doing what he said he was going to do? Because I'm not seeing it here. But really, you're resting on the promises of man and not on the promises of God, because I think God's promises have more eternal weight than they have present day weight. 
So maybe thoughts on that? Anybody? <laughs> I have no, thoughts. I agree with but that. Ashley, you always have ahead. thoughts. <laughs> you always have thoughts, but Ashley has to talk too. We can't have a female voice on the podcast just to laugh and go, hmm, yes. Like, I mean, I'm sure I Stephen Furtick that, has but... tried it. No, oh my gosh. Oh, Strike that. Strike that. No, I would say I completely agree with that. Um, what I was thinking is kind of like a struggle for me is defining what it even means to be blessed because it says, you know, it says that and all the blessed, blessed are blah, 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 over and over and over. Um, and I would agree that I don't think we totally understand what that looks like here. Um, a lot of people think it is that health, wealth, whatever. And then when something happens that is, you know, awful here on earth, they don't know how to process that. Um, personally, I've gone through something like that too. And like you were saying, the whole charismatic thing, which I am too, but it can kind of mess with your head because then you think I didn't believe hard enough, you know, for something to happen that you were praying to happen. Um, so I don't know. I don't have an answer necessarily, but it's definitely a struggle. I don't think it's ever a straight line. You know, like from here to there, like, perfect, I did all this stuff and and now I perfectly trust God and I'm going to be blessed. Like, I don't really think it works that way. Yeah, so um, I think that the reason it gets taken too far is not because we know the upper limit and we cross it. It's because we approach it with an incorrect methodology. And I think the charismatics are particularly guilty of this. And I'm not going to unpack it. Kendall can if you'd like to, or you guys can read about it. Um, but so to explain why we don't know where the upper limit is and to ex and to show an example of what a proper methodology might look like, I bid that we return to Frankel and his experience in Auschwitz. And the reason why this is such a good example is because Auschwitz functions kind of like a boundary condition because it's hard to think of things which are worse than that sure that you could do it worse is a very deep hole but most of us in our lives are not going to experience something worse than what the people who were taken to the death camps experienced now um one of the commitments that he made this is uh, this is couched under the umbrella of committing to walking in and telling the truth no matter what and following that journey as it lays itself out for him instead of trying to manipulate his circumstances to open up the path of his choosing he's just going to walk down the path that presents itself one of the things that he did um, when he was in the camps is that he didn't abuse other people and he didn't break down his ethical code, even though he might just die for sticking to it because like they're starving. Right. And so he's not going to steal someone else's food in order to feed himself because he wouldn't do that in his normal life. And so he tried to stick as close as he could to his, what he believed to be true of the universe of, of life, of, of God, of these kinds of things even in this in circumstances where it looked like it was going to actually kill him. Like I'm going to starve if I don't take mm -hmm. this guy's food. And I'm just using that as one example. There were many that he experienced. Now, when he gets out, he resumes his practice and not only is he okay, but he's so okay that he's able to help other survivors get better. Um, so there was a one client that he had who had lost his wife. So, you know, as many, many of you know, they separated the husbands from the wives as soon as they got to the camp and the husbands never saw their wives again. And the wives never saw their husbands again. <clears throat> he got out, she didn't, she died. Um, and he was just destroyed over this. He couldn't get through life. He, um, had some sessions with Frankel, um, had some conversations with him. And one of the things that Victor Frankel told this guy was think of all the pain that you're experiencing right now. The, the, the cross that you're carrying. Um, because you survived and she didn't, 
you get to bear this pain and she doesn't have to. Would you trade places with her? Would you put her in this kind of pain that you're experiencing right now? And he said, no, of course not. I wouldn't because, you know, his, his life was over after Auschwitz because mm-hmm. of what happened to his wife. He's never going to, this, this guy who lost his wife is always going to be in pain because of this. And she doesn't have to be because she passed. And so when he thinks about the, the proposition of switching places with her, he actually doesn't want to do that. And so what that does is it gives him a cross to bear. It, it adds meaning to his pain. Now, that's just one example of one guy that Frankel was able to help. And he's only able to help this guy because Frankel himself didn't uh, impeach all of his ethical guidelines while he's in the camp and develop all kinds of traumas for himself as a consequence of things that he observed himself doing. This is why we have the Geneva Convention in, uh, with, in terms of military engagement. Because when you're in combat, you'll do things that you wouldn't normally do and they'll seem okay because of the context of combat. But then when you come home, you remember watching yourself do the things that you did and you develop post-traumatic stress disorder as a consequence. So we know, we know what causes that. And so we put these rules in place to prevent it, even though they can seem restrictive in terms of like winning a war, so to speak. Can I ask you to tie this into trusting God? Yeah, I'm waiting for the, when you, what you started with the it's, upper limit. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the, whole, the whole thing is associated with trusting in God because what looks appealing in the moment, the fruit that's right in front of you, is sometimes not the right choice to make. And so you have to make the right choice, even if it requires what seems like extreme sacrifice and, and seems like it's going in a dismal direction. That's, that's where like the upper limit, we don't know where the upper limit is because Frankel has no idea that he's going to be able to help people recover from the trauma that they experienced in Auschwitz. He doesn't even know if he's going to survive. Like when he's there, he's starving and he doesn't know if he's going to be in a gas chamber the next morning. And yet, despite that, the the tumultuous nature of that situation, he's not going to betray his values. Even in, that, even in that place. And so what I think happens to us as people is that we get ourselves into circumstances and situations where we think that hedging our bet a little bit is probably the right move because who the hell cares anyway? I'm going to face all these consequences. I'm probably going to die. Like my life's over. So why does it matter? Like, and, and so really like that's, it, imagine the worst day of your life. Imagine the whole thing collapses. Everything implodes. How tempted are you to just forget about your values in that moment? Because it's all over anyway. Like it's, so are you focusing on so the, values or on I'm, I'm saying that values, values are representative of trusting God. Of trusting. Yes. That if you believe in the promises of God, you are trusting. Right. You, now, have, you have to be able to look at your own death, look at mm-hmm. your own cross coming right in front of you and still not compromise on your values. All of what you said is really good. But I also think like it's a long road to get to where we were at. No, no, no. I think it's different. And the reason I think it's different is because I don't think it's wise to say that fulfillment of the promises of God has to wait for eternity. It, like, I think that there I didn't are... say, whoa, whoa. I didn't say they have to wait. What I said is that some are fulfilled here on earth, but the fullness of the promises are not realized until heaven. So what I'm trying to say by that specifically is that, is there healing here on earth? Absolutely. But does everybody get healed? No. But does everybody get healed? No. And, and if, you are healed, if you are healed, if you are healing prayer, 
Well, I don't think it's the primary vehicle. Well, let's not get into that part yet. So healing doesn't always happen to everybody and everybody who prays for it or believes for it or any of that. Even the people who are healed aren't fully healed in their entire body because why? They're still dying. So we're still dealing with the we're consequence still marching towards death. Of, of unhealthiness or not wellness, like not being well um, on the inside. So like that is still not a full healing. What I'm saying is that the fulfillment of the healing happens in heaven. Let's take comfort. If you comfort and you mourn right now, right? <clears throat> and you need comfort, you're going to have comfort that lasts for a good while. But what happens when you have the next situation where you mourn? You're still gonna mourn. You're still gonna cry. You're still gonna grieve something. Um, and you'll have comfort again and it'll come again, but it's not an eternal comfort. And the eternal comfort doesn't come until you get to heaven when there is no crying and there's no more tears and there's no more pain and everything yeah, is wiped away. Yeah, promise that on earth at all. Yeah, so like you still face those things where even if you quote unquote cracked the code of figuring out how to um, perfectly lean on the promises of God, that is a daily thing. So you keep bringing up Frankel. Like he had to make that, he had to make that, uh, he had, to, had that mindset every single day when he woke up. And every moment that he was faced with a choice, he had to have that decision of, this is how I'm going to lean on um, my values yeah, at so, that point. Well, you're right. His, the, the crucial piece there is less about what am I going to do? It's about what am I not going to do? even if it's or, extremely tempting. Or just simply, what do I fully believe? Like break it all the way down to that. What do I actually believe? And, and then how does that, how does that so affect what, my actions? And how does that affect my, uh, the way I view other people? How does that affect what I'm going to do today? Like, so, so I think it's even less than just what am I gonna do and more, what do I really believe? And then how does that affect what I do? Okay, so don't you think that even if let's say we, we we push off the eternal or the, the total fulfillment of God's promises to uh, the eternal, let's say. If you believe that and you have faith in that fulfillment, it is like having it now in, in the sense that it, the fact of some of the fulfillment coming in the future colors the rest of your experience in the present moment. Well, like you're hanging on to the hope of that happening? Well, it's you, definitely not happening but so currently. so it it happens the way that it happens currently is that is that it changes this is what i was trying to get to from the beginning it changes the way that you experience and the way that you walk through the trials of the present moment yes for instance if i did not have hope for an eternity and if i did not know jesus <laughs> and i did matter. not yeah then i would i mean i'll be real honest with you guys i'd have given up a long time ago i'd be sitting on my parents couch and doing absolutely nothing if that I right. might not even be alive. And that's like, like a universe of difference from where you are right now. No, absolutely. But again, so what you're saying is that hope for having that full fulfillment is a glimpse of having it now. And I think that's what Hebrews even talks about specifically, that this is just a simply a glimpse in a mirror dimly lit um, for what the kingdom of heaven is really going to be, is that the mirror is dimly lit and I've only got a glimpse of it. So there, I'm not... 24 seven going around and being like, thank God for eternity. Everything's good today. Like that, maybe there's people who can do that, but I think like the, the majority of people, the majority of Christians who are really working out their salvation on with knees and trembling when they're, when they're really trusting in God's promises for salvation and for sanctification, when they're trusting in God's promises for comfort or for healing or for peace, when they're trusting in all of that for hope, I think 
that if you were to talk to people who were being real with you, they would say it's a it's a struggle every day to like remind themselves there's a hope for a future. Especially when you don't see things happen because like, yeah, I've seen people healed and I've seen them not healed. And so you have to, if you don't hang on to the hope that someday it'll be fully fulfilled, then you really don't have anything. So, I mean, I get what you're saying. So imagine you lose a loved one, um, say in like an accident or some way that was uh, like unexpected. It just happens and then boom, gone. Um, There are people, if you said okay, well, that person's in heaven with Jesus now and I derive great comfort from that. And you appear not to be grieving the way that someone without Christ would grieve. Um, there are people outside the faith who would look at you and say, oh, this person's in denial. But but if the scriptures are true, who's really in denial? Yeah, no, you're right. But let me also say, put a uh, caveat on this, is that you can say that and you can fully believe it, but it also doesn't take away from the morning that you're you're experiencing. And so that's what I mean is like, you can have a glimpse of comfort in that moment, right? Of they're in heaven, I'll see him one day. And that is comforting, but that doesn't take away all of the grieving or all of the pain right. for eternity. I think but it, when you see them along with Jesus, when you see them in eternity with Jesus, that is when everything else mm-hmm is okay like and and your morning is completely gone and then comforted so like that actually is a is a perfect example of how you have it here it's it's now and not yet like that's the best way to put it is that we have it now yeah but it's not yet perfect and it's not yet fulfilled for eternity until we get to that day yeah so i think we see the the so i'm not claiming at any point here that there's a, a hack for life to where you can go through without pain. But I'm saying that the way you experience pain is completely different if it's meaningless pain versus if it's meaningful pain. That's what Frankel's um, instruction to the guy who lost his wife was. He's just, all he was doing is adding meaning to the pain. He wasn't actually um, taking away the pain. Now, we also see this difference, I think, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ doesn't want to go forward with the passion, when he doesn't want to go forward with the crucifixion. But then he says, not my will, your will. And because he trusts in the will of the father more than he's afraid of being crucified, that makes all the difference. That That's the gospel. That's, yeah. that's the whole thing. And so if you don't have that, I actually think that you don't go forward with the crucifixion. I don't, I, I think you, you, you take a different path if you don't trust in the promises of God. And so the question becomes, not what does my life look like if I trust in the promises of God, but it's how bad can my life become if I stop trusting in the promises of God? Because then all I have what's, is what's right in front of me. And then what my, my mind that is lacking omniscience determines the future is going to be as a consequence of these things that are unfolding in the present moment. Yeah. Okay. So two things to that. And this, this, I think ties all of what we talked about together pretty well, especially since we just, we mentioned Psalm 23 at the beginning. We never read it. We haven't got it to it. But in Psalm 23, um, you'll like this, Michael. Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yay. Um, You're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, And so like, what's really cool about that visual is that David, specifically through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes the valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death. Like Mm -hmm. he's not actually going through the consequences of 
sin in death. Like he's not facing death itself, but he's in the shadow of death. And that's like what this earth kind of is, right? It's a, it's a shadow of like what sin has brought upon all of us. So, and that is death. And that's what Romans uh, three says. So like we've all fallen short and the consequence of sin is death. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are in the shadow of death. We're not having to experience the hell that is on earth um, in such a way that people who do not know Jesus are. The people who do not know Jesus, who have not made him Lord and Savior, they're experiencing actual death here on earth because there is no hope for life. When we're in the shadow of death and we still have hope for Jesus as being a good shepherd, we know that there's a way out of this at some point. At some point, we don't have to stay in this death. I'm not technically still in this consequence um, for eternity. I have life for eternity. So there's a light that is shown there in the shadow and that's why it creates the shadow of death, okay? So if you are banking on the promises of God, then whatever you're going through, it might feel like death and there might be the stench of death on it and there might be the little bit of a darkness of death, but yet if you know Jesus, it is the shadow of death. It is not death itself. And so that's something to be very aware of that if you do not view God as leading you through this valley, if you do not view God as defeating death and sin and the grave, if you don't view God as that is doing that, then you are simply just in the valley of death. You have no comfort, you have no guide, you have nothing in that moment. And so it's important for us as Christ followers to remind ourselves that even if we're in what feels like death, it's simply a shadow. Well, yeah, and then the whole promise thing that we were talking about, like how it promises, you know, he's gonna lead us to green pastures and whatever. Maybe you guys have talked about this, but like we picture in America that it's like this lush green pasture and it's rolling fields and it's everything that we need and it's beautiful. And actually in context, it would be like Middle East, like everything's dry, you know, like a shepherd would be leading to exactly the spot that would have little shoots of grass that would pop up. Like it would just pop up in the morning, I think, like just because it's so dry and then there'd be moisture and then there'd be little shoots of grass and then they have to move again. So it's like you are following the shepherd exactly where he's leading you or you will mm-hmm. not make it, you know, like yeah. you have to. Yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's a really eloquent way of putting what I'm trying to, um, what I'm trying to say by the, if you, if you trust in the promises of God, no matter what, mm-hmm. what you'll experience in your day-to-day life, if you look for it, is a path unfolding in front of you. A path not really of your choosing because you're sticking to what the spirit of God and the scriptures are telling you is right. And so the path lays itself out. And that I would say is more authentically your journey than your journey, I'm putting air quotes, would be if you wrote it yourself. God has written your journey out and it is your journey. And you only get to walk that if you trust in his promises. If you don't have a- It looks terrible. If you don't have an understanding that there is a destination then you are simply wandering and mm-hmm. you will get really annoyed with that really quick. <laughs> you will get tired of that. You will think you're walking in circles and there's nothing, what am I gonna do? Because you don't have a destination. You don't have a guide. You're just literally wandering in the desert. And people who don't know Jesus and don't have a hope for eternity, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're wandering around in the desert with no destination. And so the crap they have to go through doesn't have any meaning. 
they and they can't ascribe meaning to it. And some other religions try to ascribe meaning to it. Even mindfulness, um, like I'm not saying that's a well, that's a, a religion, um, but it can become kind of cultish. <laughs> um, even mindfulness can become <clears throat> a a uh, a terrible guide because you still don't have a specific reason yeah. of or a specific destination because the destination is only found in Christ. Right. That is. That is the promise that he gives us, is that there's a destination of eternity where there is going to be no more tears, there's gonna be no more pain, there's going to be everlasting joy, and the hope that we've had for this whole time is going to finally be fulfilled. But if you don't have that, you don't have a reason for the crap that you're going through on earth, and it makes earth truly death. Right, yeah, mindfulness (laughs) is something approximating a coping mechanism because it doesn't really answer any of the questions. Like the the issue with mindfulness is that it doesn't answer who am I, doesn't answer where I'm from, doesn't answer where am I going, doesn't answer why I'm here, none of that stuff. What it purports to be able to do is to help alleviate the pain associated with not having answers to those questions or having bad answers to those questions. And I think that if you, first of all, if you know the scriptures and and you know the promises of God and you actually believe them and you have faith in them, that it, it just changes the present moment because it colors it, it flavors it. And that's what first Corinthians 15 means when, when, uh, it says, Oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, in first Thessalonians, when we see those about a discussion about those who died in Christ, but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So there's a difference in this moment as a consequence of trusting in the promises even if their absolute fulfillment is in the hereafter. So that's why the, the, the eternal and the present moment are inextricably linked in that way. Yeah. And what you believe about heaven, what you believe about what God has promised, will change the way that you walk through today, and that change will be positive. And that's also part of the trust of the promises of God, that he wouldn't lead you astray, that he wouldn't lead you in a way that because is Because he's a good shepherd. Yes. Yeah, he's a good mm-hmm. shepherd leading you to places where you can calm and quiet your soul. And like, even in the midst, I want to say this and maybe we'll wrap up here because we're, we've got a lot of uh, time here. But what strikes me so much on this reading, I read Psalm 23 before we started this. And what strikes me so much really is that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. Because like, I know for me personally, I feel like I've been walking through that and the, and I've even shared with this with our church uh, from worship leading is like, I've been in a state the past year and a half, two years about like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Cause my unbelief is getting really loud. Um, but I still believe you're good and I still believe you're faithful and I still believe you're a healer. And I still believe, you know, all these things that you say about yourself. It's just some days it's harder to believe than others. But what has been my absolute, bedrock what has been the rod and staff of of god has been the hope for eternity like there is there is nothing else that has really been that cornerstone for me essentially to say okay well today's going to be a good day because of xyz because god gave me breath in my lungs and his mercies are new every morning those two things are very true and those two things can help me wake up in the morning however to keep me facing what might be facing me today or or going through what might be facing me today or having to deal with 
outside circumstances that I can't control, the only thing that keeps me going and the only thing that keeps me um, hopeful is that one day the war will be over. One day I'll, I'll see Jesus face to face. One day, everything that I've gone through will make sense in light of eternity. And that is like, that is the key, I feel like. Yeah, there's not a life hack, but I feel like that is the key to pressing on towards the goal, to, to continue to run the race of faith, to be sanctified from glory to glory, is continually being able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fearing no evil because God's rod and staff will comfort you because you have a hope that one day all of this will be okay. And it doesn't mean that all of this will be okay or everything's gonna be fine or you know all things are gonna work together for your good. Maybe on earth, maybe not. But the day you breathe your last breath, they're gonna be good because you trusted in Jesus. And even if that trust wavers every once in a while, day to day, if you set your foot on the foundation and the hope of Christ is the hope for my soul for eternity, then I think that you have the power to be able, by the Holy Spirit, to be able to keep moving forward and to have opportunities to see God's goodness here on this earth and to have opportunities to actually taste of his goodness, not just to see it in other people, but you give yourself another opportunity, another moment, another day to see the promises of God that are maybe even slightly fulfilled here. And that next moment you get gives you more hope for the future. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that is a good place um, to, to end it. I think that that's, you know, and this is something that you can practice at home because um, it, it gives you the opportunities to taste of the goodness of God. And it also functions as an arc for the, the flood of chaos that would ensue if you give up if you stop or if you, if you throw the promises of God to the wayside, like what you do at home is sit and take a detailed inventory of all the consequences as detailed as you can make it that would happen for you, for your loved ones, for their loved ones, for just this, this butterfly effect of tragedy that goes out when you make the wrong decisions. Um, that's pretty easy to figure out if you sit and think about it. And all of that, it starts to look like a life hack when you see that all of that's not happening and then you get a little bit of positive, the positive is actually much, much, the peak is actually much, much taller than what it looks on the surface because you're avoiding the chasm underneath as well. Mm -hmm. So the total difference is immense and all of that. Yeah, to always look at, I mentioned this at our last Unite, that no matter how bad it gets, if you look at your life with Jesus, and you're like, man, it might be bad now, or there might be some bad circumstances or some bad emotions or whatever, like, if not for Jesus, then where would I be? And so it's not even just about making the right choices or like, you know, morality even, it's, it's really just about would I have hope or not? And without Jesus, I wouldn't have hope. So it would, it would be worse off at that point. I would be in a, a worse hole without him. Even if I feel like I'm in a hole now, it's just the shadow of death. It's not actually be death. Be in the hole alone. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything that you would like the fine listeners of the ULOF podcast to know about the ministry of fine. United? <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Don't take that word the wrong way. Uh, I did. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, some of them. Maybe if you need, you know, if you need a, if you need a boost in your life today, go ahead and take it the wrong way. If you need a boost, just clip go ahead. that part and make it your ringtone. <laughs> yes. I'm a fine listener. <laughs> No, I want you to know that uh, Unite is coming up. So it is, again, the fourth Sunday of every month. And if you're listening to this before September 24th, then you should be there. It is at 627 at 2707 West Pike Road. Um, It's going to be a good time. Still filling in the blank of who is Jesus. And we're going to go over Jesus is grace. And then we're going to uh, grace ourselves with s'mores. Light some stuff on fire. Yep, light some stuff on fire. preferably wood inside of a fire pit. We don't know what so. I'm going to do. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't include people. Wow. Okay. Michael's Thanks for that. Crazy. <laughs> Come out to Unite. We don't burn people. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Marshmallows only. <laughs>